0: Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. It is good to worship with you here today. Once again, if you're new, if you're joining us here for the first time, just want to say a big welcome to you. We're thrilled to worship with you here this morning. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and uh, it's my joy to... Uh, open up God's Word with you here today. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open that up to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four. That's right. We are in the New Testament this morning. Uh, for those of you who have been journeying with us this past semester, you'll know that we we've been spending the majority of our time in the Old Testament. We've been we've been in this series called Life in the Wilderness. Life in the Wilderness, and we've been looking at various folks in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament uh, books, and to discover what was god up to in the lives of these people in these wilderness moments of life and if you remember all the way back in the beginning of the series, you, you you remember we defined the wilderness this way. We said the wilderness is a difficult period of, of testing or trial marked by a sense of separation from God. Okay, not that, not that we are actually separated from God, but when we're in the wilderness seasons of life, it, it feels like God is far from us. It feels like God is absent. It feels like God is distant. And so that, that's what we're talking about. It's marked by this sense of separation from God, often accompanied with feelings of isolation, desolation, and great need. And we saw this play out in the lives of people like Adam and Eve in Genesis three, Moses and the Israelites. We looked at Gideon's story and David's story and Elijah's story, and we looked at all these different stories. and And we can tag on a whole host, maybe a, a couple dozen more stories of people in Scripture where they found themselves in these wilderness moments where it felt, where it felt like God was nowhere to be found, where they were uh, going through these moments of isolation, desolation, and while on the surface this seems awfully depressing stories to look at right like these aren't the stories we want to look at on a Sunday morning like it's like I've had a hard week enough like I don't want to look at these depressing stories the the the, the 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 stories where people are wrestling with these moments the question is why why are we studying these stories why are we looking at these stories friends for the last six weeks or so we've been looking at these stories because in many ways this is your story this is my story. This is our collective story that plays out time and time again. You see, on this side of heaven, we're going to experience what these ancient sojourners experienced, and that is life in the wilderness. Whether we like it or not, we are going to go through seasons. Maybe you're in one of these seasons right now, or, or maybe you will come t- before a season like this where, where you're going to go through some difficult times of, of feeling isolated, Uh, Where where you're going to feel alone, afraid, confused, and and you're just going to find yourself wondering, where is God right now? Where is God in all of this? My hope throughout the course of this series has been that you would discover that God is actually in it, with us journeying step by step with us through the wilderness. And not only is he with us in the wilderness, but that God is actually using these wilderness experiences to shape us and mold us to become more like Jesus in the end. You see, God doesn't use the wilderness to punish us or to confuse us or to torture us. He uses the wilderness to lovingly shape us into the kinds of men and women that he so longs for us to be the reason I know that is because of today's story. We're bringing the series to a close this morning. After several weeks of looking at stories upon stories in the Old Testament, now we come to the New Testament, and we're going to look at someone who was, once again, well acquainted with life in the wilderness. And we're going to look at Jesus' wilderness experience. Last week I said even the greats, like Elijah, every once in a while encounter the wilderness. And today we discover even the Son of God... Once in a while, encounters the wilderness. And so if you have your Bibles open, look with me at Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And this morning, we're going to have Aaron come up and read this passage for us. And so, Aaron, if you don't mind coming on up, buddy, and read for us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11.
1: Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Eric. It. Friends today I want to talk to you about the temptations that we face in the wilderness. And it happens to be the same temptations that Jesus faced here in today's passage and it's these three temptations that will seek to throw us off course time and time again when we find ourselves in the wilderness. Now before we get into those temptations did you notice that in the opening verse that it was the holy spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness? Again, I, I think we, many of us have it in our minds, we fall into this thought pattern that, that the difficulties that we face in life can in no way, shape, or form be from God, right? Like, why would God want me to go through this difficult season? And, and, and we believe somewhere in our core that, that God would only make my life easier, not harder, you know that that God would God would make my life better not worse more comfortable not uh, less uh, convenienced. and yet this passage that we're looking at today tells a very different story. You see oftentimes God will bring us into a kind of wilderness of sorts to prune us. How many of you know there are things in your life that need the pruning work of God. You are not that awesome. <laughs> okay. You have things in your life that God seeks to trim out excess fat and junk and stuff in your life so that he can shape you again, shape you and mold you to become more like Jesus. And how does he do that? He does that by bringing you into the wilderness. The wilderness does that. And we see that in today's story. And in this case, Jesus here, God is preparing him for his earthly ministry. But while Jesus is out in the wilderness praying and fasting for these 40 days, the tempter, the devil... The enemy of your soul and my soul comes and presents him with three particular temptations that I want to look at here briefly today. The first one hits him at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now remember, Jesus has been fasting all this time. Okay, he's been resisting food. That's what fasting is, resisting food in order to seek the heart of God in order to lean into his prayer life and into, into the, the, the very will of the Father. And so the enemy comes along and he tries to tempt him with some bread. But now, is that the real temptation here? Is, is, the, is the bread the real temptation here? And, and I would argue, in part, yes, but in a much larger part, not really. The real temptation here is not so much bread, but it's the temptation for instant gratification, It's for instant gratification. The enemy says, you're hungry? Go ahead and satisfy yourself. You can turn these stones into bread right here, right now. Go ahead and put yourself out of your misery and just go ahead and feed yourself. Oftentimes, friends, when we are in the wilderness, our tendency will be to try to find the quickest way out. Right? Like when we're going through some difficult seasons of life, we're not asking ourselves, how can I stay and linger here longer? Right? Like none of us are asking questions. Like we're like, get me the heck out of here. Where is the fastest exit out of this hard season, out of this difficult moment and situation in my life? I mean, like, like we're looking for the easy way out. In other words, we are looking in times of difficulty, in times in the wilderness, we are looking for instant gratification. And isn't it true? Isn't it true that our culture caters to that need for instant gratification, right? Like, everything around us is about getting what we want, when we want it, as fast as we can get it, right? I mean, heaven forbid that the item we want on Amazon is not Prime eligible, right? Like... Yeah, more than two days? How dare they? I mean, the nerve of them, right? Like, there's no good reason for that, right? I need this thing. like, I, I, I Or how about trying to work on a, on a slow Wi-Fi connection? I mean, we just about lose our freaking salvation, right? Like, we're like, I, it's, this is taking 30 seconds longer to load this website. What is wrong with this? Or that the video is buffering longer than it should be, right? Like, it's almost as unacceptable as my DoorDash order taking longer than it said it was going to take, right? Like, what is the deal here? I and mean, we could go on and on, right? We could have some fun with this. I mean, we live in a culture. We are a people designed, hardwired towards instant gratification. I often, I often like to compare our cultural mindset to, to that of a microwave, the convenience of a microwave, the, the technology of a microwave is wonderful, right? It's, it's, it's just wonderful. You just, all you got to do is add some water and hit start. And boom, you got got yourself a nice meal, right? Like, just, just add some water, instant coffee, throw it in the microwave, hit start. Add some water, instant ramen, hit start. Just add some water, instant oatmeal, instant mac and cheese, whatever, everything is instant. All you need to do is just add water and hit start. When we look at this passage, it was almost as if the enemy came to Jesus. Now, go with me. It sounds absurd, but just go with me. It's almost as if the enemy came to Jesus with a microwave. And he's like, look, see some of these stones? Throw it in here. Just add water and hit start. And I'll come, you'll get a little heck. You never know. I might come in. A pot pocket. I don't know. Just just go ahead and throw some stones in here and add some water. Hit start, and you can feed yourself right here, right now. But you see, God's work in the wilderness rarely ever works like a microwave. You see, the work that God seeks to do in us in the wilderness moments of our lives is actually much more like a crockpot than it is a microwave. You see, with a crockpot, you can't rush the cooking process, right? With a crockpot, you don't just add water and hit start, and then 30 seconds later, you've got yourself a nice piping hot meal. The crockpot will do what it does in its time, and you just have to wait you just have to wait. Sometimes it might be two hours. Sometimes it might be 12 hours. But with some things in our faith journey, hear me, friends. You just have to let it simmer. You just have to give God the space to do what it is that he wants to do. And the things that he wants to do in us, more often than not, more often than this is this is not the exception to the rule. This is the norm. More often than not, God needs time to develop the things in your life and in my life that goes beyond just add water and hit start. God, there are some things that God develops in us that requires us to just wait and let it simmer and let God do what it is that he wants to do. But the key thing is you've got to be willing to stick around and not bail when you're not seeing the kinds of results as if you were to just... Add water and hit start. See, the first temptation that the enemy comes to Jesus with is not necessarily the object of bread, but it is the heart that longs for instant gratification. It's a desire that is found in you, that is found in me, and that we lean into when things get difficult, when we find ourselves in the wilderness. First temptation is for instant gratification. The second temptation that Jesus faced was the temptation to test God. It was the temptation to test God. After tempting Jesus with turning stones into bread, the enemy then takes another jab in verse 5. And in verse 5, we read, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, Okay, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone." I mean, this is like the ultimate trust fall, is it not? Like, this is like the enemy takes him up to, that, to the highest point, and he's like, go ahead and throw yourself. I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of trust falls in my lifetime. I've seen a lot go right, and I've seen a lot go wrong. This seems like one of those times where things can go terribly wrong. I mean, like, the, the enemy takes him up and says, go ahead and just fall and see if the angels of God catch you. The enemy here—he's asking Jesus a fundamental question and it's a question that we're faced with when we're in the wilderness time and time again. And that is, do you really trust your father? Do you trust God? Do you trust that God knows what he's doing? Do you believe in this moment the enemy is saying to Jesus, do you believe that God is good enough, he is faithful enough, he is steadfast enough to catch you if you throw yourself off this building, You see, what the enemy is doing here and what he does with all of us is he tries to sow just enough doubt, just enough skepticism, just enough uncertainty to put God to the test. And I want you to see Jesus' response here. He says in verse 7, he says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, a couple of things here. First of all, notice... In the overall arc of the story, notice that for every rebuttal that Jesus gives to the enemy here in this story, it is from Scripture. scripture. Whenever Jesus says it is written, he's quoting Scripture. Friends, your best defense against the temptations of the evil one is grounding yourself in the truth of God's word. The best line of defense that you have in the face of temptation against the evil one is grounding yourself in the truth of God's word. This is important to understand. You're not going to fight the temptations of the tempter strictly by your willpower alone. None of us are strong enough. Even on our best day, none of us have have enough power and, and, and resources that we can muster up to fight the enemy on our own. You need the authority of scripture to stand on. You need to stand on the authority of God's word. Secondly, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6 here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, to be exact. And this idea of putting God to the test is a bit conflicted. It's a a bit conflicted because if you know your Bible, if you know your scripture, uh, you, you you may think of different places in scripture where it seems good and fitting, even encouraged to test God. Places like Malachi chapter 3 is is one place that comes to mind where God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Or or how about 1 John chapter 4 where John says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but he says, test them. Test the spirits. And, And this is not just false spirits. This is testing the spirit of God in conjunction with these false spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. In the story of Gideon, if you remember uh, several weeks back, we talked about his story. If you remember the fleece test, God didn't seem bothered by the fleece test. Do you remember that? God didn't. He wasn't like, I'm not playing this game. Gideon, enough, right? Like, he, he played along. He's, Gideon's like, I, he laid out this police test, and God simply cooperated with Gideon's requests. And yet, in today's passage, Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test, which seems counter to what these other passages seem to be indicating. So how do we reconcile this? You see, when the enemy tempts us to test God, what he's trying to get us to say is, God... I don't really know if you know what you're doing here. I don't know if you really have my life under control. The essence of a test, right? Like, I mean, we all have taken tests here. We're all college students. We're in the throes of tests and exams, right? What is the purpose of a test and exam, right? It's to test whether you know the material, whether you have mastered the content or not, when we test God, we are saying, God, I am not convinced that you know what you're doing here. When we test God, we're saying, God, I don't really have I'm not really confident that you have things under that you have a good handle on my life. Translation, God, I don't know if you are trustworthy. Phil Savage, one of our sponsors, mentioned during our last midweek this past Wednesday that sin at its core is fueled by misguided trust or misplaced trust. and in, in other words, when we place our trust or our confidence in something or someone other than God, it sets us on a path of destruction and sin. And in this passage, the enemy tries to get Jesus on that very path. He tries to get Jesus to question his trust in the Father, And more often than not, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, the enemy will do that same exact thing with us. He will try to question, get us to question the trust that we have in our Father. You see, you got to understand this. Let's trail this back just a moment. In Gideon's story, it wasn't so much that he lacked trust in God. He lacked trust in himself. Do you remember in that story, he's like, I don't know if I got what it takes I don't know, like my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, I'm the least in my family. He, he he lacked trust in himself. He had major self-doubts, which in turn he started projecting those doubts onto God. It's not that Malachi was saying you shouldn't trust God, whereby you put him to the test. He was saying when you take steps of obedience and we worship God with our resources and we give to God what he deserves, God will show his faithfulness to you over and over and over again, double times over, triple times over. God will express his faithfulness towards you. When John encourages us to test the spirits, he's not saying that God's spirit is an unreliable source that needs to be tested. He's saying in the testing process, you'll discover that God's spirit is actually the only reliable, the only true source, the only trustworthy spirit to heed. You see, the devil was trying to get Jesus to test God. The problem was Jesus trusted God far too much to put him to the test. You see, when we trust God, there is not a need to put him on trial. When we trust God, there's not a need to to test him in those moments. In our wilderness experiences, the fact of the matter is this. Our tendency will be to put God on trial when we look at our circumstances. When our circumstances don't line up with what we perceive God to be like, our tendency will naturally be, I'm going to put you on trial, God. I'm going to put you to the test here. God, if you love me, why is this happening to me? How many of us ask ourselves that question at any point in our journey, right? You don't have to raise your hand. But like, God, if you really love me, why is this happening to me? If you're good, why does this season of my life feel so bad? See, in those moments, church family, you've got to decide. I'm not going to let my situation inform God's character. I'm going to let God's character inform my situation. You see, I don't know where we, we fall into this trap, but we fall into this pattern of, "Here's my situation, therefore God must be like this." That is a backwards equation. That's, a, that's, a, that, that's not the, the pathway of Jesus. Jesus says, I don't need to test God because I trust him. He's good. I know that to be true. He's faithful. I know that to be true. How do I know that? I've seen that in my life time and time again. And just because I'm not seeing that now does not inform God's character. Rather, I want to walk in a path that says God's character is this. Therefore, my, my situation is informed in such a way. Because God is good, my situation is you fill in the blank. Because God is faithful, my situation, you fill in the blank. Not my situation is you fill in the blank. Therefore, God is no longer good. God, because my situation is less than bleak and le- or, or, or bleak and less than favorable, therefore, God must not be in favor of me. You see, Jesus here in this moment, he says, I don't need to throw myself off of this building. I don't need to test God. Because I trust God. I don't need to test him. Because I know him. And I trust his character. See, this is part of why we do what we do here as a church community. That's why we encourage you getting plugged into a small group. Getting plugged into a, a, a gospel community. Why? Because every once in a while, we need to be reminded of God's good character in our lives. So that we are not misinformed by our situations. We need the community, the body of believers. The reason why we gather together here every Sunday morning, we sing songs of worship to God, we open up God's word, is because every week, every day for for most of us, we need that reminder that my situation does not inform God's character, but I need the reminder of who God is so that God's character might inform my situation and so that I'm not so easily tempted to test God or put God on trial. See, that's... The second temptation that the enemy brought before Jesus, the temptation to test God. And then finally, in verse 8, the enemy takes one last shot at Jesus. In verse 8, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The third temptation that Jesus faced here, and that we will face in our wilderness moments in life, is the temptation to forsake your mission. The temptation to forsake your mission. I want you to get the picture here in this final showdown between Jesus and the enemy. The enemy takes Jesus on a very high mountaintop and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, right? This is like a real Lion King moment, right? Like you could almost hear Mufasa saying Simba, Right? Like, everything the light touches will be yours one day. Like, I, I'm not James Earl Jones. I can't, I can't get that low. But you can imagine, right? Like, that's almost like what's happening here. The enemy takes him up and he says, all this can be yours. Except in this moment, it's not as endearing and charming as it was for Mufasa and Simba. It, this is more a bit more distorted and tainted. You see, up until this point, the enemy has been consistently trying to get Jesus off course and away from God's will. He he keeps trying to pull him away from doing the will of the Father, and that shows up no clearer than right here in this last interaction. Now you got to understand what's happening here. The enemy offers Jesus the very thing that he came for. Okay, he came for the world. Like you got to understand this. Like the enemy is offering Jesus. He's not offering something that Jesus isn't looking for he's offering Jesus the very thing that he came for. His mission was to win people over to the kingdom of God. It was to redeem the lost and hopeless. It was to reign in glory and in power in the lives of people everywhere. It was to establish God's rule and reign over the kingdoms and the powers of this world. And so the enemy is saying in this moment, I know that's why you came. And the good news is, I can give all of that to you right now. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. You see, the enemy essentially was offering Jesus the very thing that he came for, but Jesus knew that that's not how he was going to get it. It wasn't going to be by bowing his knee to the devil. It was going to be by bowing his life to the will of the Father. By way of the cross. See, the the enemy was offering Jesus an easy way out. He was saying, look, look, forsake the cross and just kneel before me. You guys remember the agony that Jesus was experiencing leading up to the cross? I I mean, the the kind of pain and and soul-wrenching, gut-wrenching experience that was for him? The enemy was like, you can forget all of that. I can make all that go away. All you need to do is just kneel before me. Abandon the mission and I'll give you what it is that you want. The problem is that the cross was his mission. The problem was his mission was the will of the father, which was to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, friends, the, the, this wilderness experience in Matthew 4, you got to see this, was just a precursor, was just a pregame for a much greater wilderness experience that was to come that Jesus would face down the road, where he would sense the very real absence of God. You want to talk about feeling God's absence? I mean, this, Jesus would endure a kind of wilderness later on in his life where he experienced the very real palpable taste in his mouth of the absence of God's presence, where he would know isolation intimately, where desolation would become his, his friend. He would know it painfully as he hangs on a cross, bearing the weight of your sin and my sin on his shoulders to the point where he would cry out in agony, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Talk about a wilderness moment. Talk about a wilderness experience. It would have been much easier for Jesus to forsake this mission altogether. It would have been so much easier for Jesus to simply bow his knee before the enemy. But there was no way he was going to do that. There was no way he was going to do that. He was so resolute. So incredibly unwavering in his commitment to the will of the Father that he was willing to endure the worst of the worst wilderness experiences of his life. All so that you and I might know that we have a God who is with us and who is at work in us in our wilderness moments of life. You see, Jesus endured his greatest wilderness experiences so that we don't have to endure our wilderness experiences alone. That's the the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus went to these extremes and went, experienced this deep absence of God's presence, this this painful and and distressing sense of isolation and distress and and desolation. He experienced all of that. Why? He, He didn't abandon his mission. He didn't forsake his call. He didn't do any of that. Why? So that when you and I experience those wilderness experiences in our lives, we might know that we have a trustworthy God that doesn't need to be tested. Why? Because all we need to do is look at the cross. What he's accomplished on the cross is evidence enough that he doesn't need to be tested. He is at work in your life right now, today, in any season of your life, wilderness or not. God does not need to be tested. You can fully trust him. All you need to do is look upon the cross. And in the same ways that he endured the cross, what does Christ tell us to do? turn these loaves into bread, satisfy yourself right now? No, no. He says, pick up your cross, follow me. In the ways that I've endured the cross, I'm calling you now to endure your cross. But the good news is you don't have to do it alone. Because I have gone before you, I will go with you now. Because I've done it for you, I will do it with you now. You carry your cross and I walk with you. And so when the tempter comes and tempts you, to forsake your mission, stay the course, friends. Stay the course. And don't get lured in by feelings of instant gratification. Don't go running out of the wilderness too quick before God is is done developing what he needs to develop in you. Don't, Don't get sucked into this just add water and hit start kind of theology. God does not work that way. I don't know any time in scripture where God develops someone that way. God didn't didn't say, hey, follow me, and all you need to do is just add water and hit start. No, no, no. Just walk with me. This is a lifelong journey of being formed into the likeness of Christ. Following Jesus is much more like a crockpot than it is a microwave. And I believe God is saying to us here today, grow in your trust. Would you grow in your trust in your heavenly Father? Trust that he is good so that your trust in him outgrows your need to test him. So that your need to test him becomes becomes dissolved in light of your trust in the Father. We will never need to test God. So as long as we trust Him, friends. In some ways, this this seems uh, this seems um, overly simplistic, and yet when we dig into it, it seems incredibly difficult. Like in the in the midst of our wilderness, in the midst of like these hard seasons of life, to to not look for the easy way out, or to not look for that moment of instant gratification. Like, because I, I know I've been there, like where everything, every fabric of my being is screaming, get out. Right? Like find a way out. Make this stop. and, and depending on Depending on your threshold of pain and depending on what kind of pain you're going through, like that scream can become deafeningly loud. So much so that you're saying, where's the microwave? Give me the, low, give me the stones. I'm, I'm, I'm about to make me some bread right now. Like this is, this, I, I don't want to endure this any longer. And in those moments, again, it's just easy to put God on trial and say, God, are you really in this with me? Because I'm I'm told you are, but I'm going to have a really hard time believing that. And if there's a way, by by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, if there's a way to get your eyes off of the stuff in your life and get your eyes upward to the heavens, where the psalmist says, I look to the heavens, Where's my help come from? My help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. Like if we can get our eyes to that point, to that place, to say my help comes from you. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. I'm going to keep chasing after you. I'm going to keep choosing to trust that you are good, even though what I'm feeling right now is not good. I'm going to trust in your character. I'm going to to trust you. And in that moment, I'm not forsaking my mission. I'm not forsaking. I'm not abandoning my why. You want to know what your mission is in those moments in the wilderness experience? I've been saying it week after week after week after week. Your mission is to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. And the way God does that in us is through the wilderness. That's the mission. And I know everything in us wants to forsake that mission. And and there are some days where you you wonder, is this worth it? Is this worth it? I I, I pray that God would come to you and show you the beauty of what it looks like to walk in Christ-likeness, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in a way where you carry this trans- transcendent peace in your life, where you're walking in the midst of the wilderness confident that God has your life in the palm of your hands and he knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus showed us that in his wilderness experience. I pray that you would see that, the hand of God at work in your life, unfolding all of that in your life in the coming days. Let me pray for you. If you bow with me, worship team, you guys can come on up here.